0: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And please tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about data, data analysis, artificial intelligence, even machine learning, and how these can be leveraged in order to improve society around us. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Claudia Yuch, who heads up data and society at the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, and she's held many roles in the past, but uh, one of particular interest is that she was the Managing Director for Strategic Insights at the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, She was at Rockefeller for about 10 years. We're going to be talking about the work that the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation is doing to foster data savviness, as it were within the not-for-profit world, how they are helping specific organizations leverage data and data analysis, and, uh, and not only that, but how they're helping each other to learn from each other and to share insights as well. So without further ado, Claudia, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today.
1: Thanks so much, Alberto. It's a real pleasure to be here and talk about a topic that I'm very passionate about,
0: Excellent. So, tell us a little bit about the work of the uh, of the foundation. What's the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation all about?
1: The Patrick J. McGovern Foundation is a, a fairly young organization. was created in twenty fourteen by Patrick J. McGovern, who was the publisher of the the Dummy Books um, and Mac Magazine and PC Magazine um, and. Also, unfortunately, I didn't have an opportunity to meet our founder. He passed away, and then the foundation was created. But I think he had a great sense of humor and, and a big heart. That's uh, how he's described, and what I've seen from from videos. But he had that. Uh, connection really to technology, to neuroscience, um, those were some of the things that you really cared about and felt could have much more impact, uh, um, positive impact on our world, and so created that foundation. And it's one of the few foundations really that focuses on the use of data and AI as a contribution to create a thriving, inclusive uh, and equitable societies globally. So our focus is really on, on data and AI equipping nonprofit organizations, communities and, and governments with how can they use data and AI responsibly. My role um, uh, as as the VP of of Data and Society is an interesting one in the sense of that I'm not only a grant maker, um, but I have a technical team. And that's fairly unusual uh, in the foundation world. So I have a team of data scientists and data engineers, and we really roll up our sleeves and work practically uh, with the nonprofits to help them design, implement, and use data applications
0: fascinating stuff now i hear a lot about artificial intelligence about the importance of data and big data and all of these sort of things and i guess sometimes we we think we understand it to some extent but arguably we don't but what's the state of affairs with artificial intelligence and data what are the key things that you're you're looking at at the horizon where where these these uh technologies could be transformative
1: when i when i look at the sector and i can Mostly speak to the nonprofit sector, so organizations, civil society organizations, that work with uh, populations, whether it's children or um, historically excluded um, kind of uh, populations around the globe. That's the that that's the segment that that I'm seeing. That's the sector that I'm seeing, and and there it's really um, interesting to see how from four or five years ago when I started this work how organizations have progressed. Initially, it was very much looking at what has happened in the past. So how can we use data and analytics for um, a kind of, to understand history, to understand the past, to look back. Um, Now it's Starting to be more forward-looking. How can we predict events? What can we learn about um, our context so that in a humanitarian emergency, for example, we are better prepared? How can we understand vulnerabilities? How can we direct resources in the in the best possible way? So, and and how can we use can we better use data for decision making? So, I feel some of these things are are really pointing in a uh, in a positive. Uh, In terms of concrete examples, uh, maybe to draw on one uh, from our current work, we have at the moment uh, a program going with 10 grantees. Uh, We call it the accelerator program. So we have um, 10 organizations with whom we are working on proof of concept data experiments. So um, in the field of data to drive climate action. And it's a very diverse group uh, of organizations. And one organization is called NEST. Um, they are an association of cottage industry businesses or handicraft businesses in more than 100 countries around the globe. So as you, you know, can imagine, the cottage industry, these are not large businesses. These are often kind of small business, uh, women-led businesses um, in, in villages in India, in Latin America, in different parts of the world who create the, you know, kind of the necklaces and the shawls and the, the baskets that we might like to buy uh, when, when this is something um, that, that, that we fancy. And and so they the Nest represents these businesses uh, and is now for the first time uh, compiling a report uh, based on new data. How is climate change impacting those businesses, their supply chains, um, the locations where they live? Um, so I and it for me, I think what's exciting about it is that. You know, it, it's reaching sectors that we, you and I, probably wouldn't have thought about a couple of years ago. It's it's helping women that are supporting their families. Again, often very small businesses, so it's not large scale, it's not big tech, and it's kind of exploring new areas that we didn't have deep insight into before. But I think it's also important that an organization like Nest gains experience working with data because they are also a representative and an advocate for these women. Um, When we are thinking about then, how in future is the use of data kind of being designed, shaped, developed, implemented? um, And we need more advocates for for all of us um, and and people at the table in in terms of how these uh, technologies are moving forward.
0: FASCINATING. And so with your grantees or the organizations and beneficiaries that you work with, is it a grant and that's that? Is it the sharing of technical expertise and know-how? Uh, give us a little bit of insight into how you support these organizations, whether it's Nest or some of those other organizations. And, and maybe what's, what sort of size are these uh, engagements or projects or interventions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it is that exactly that combination that you were talking about. We are we are giving a grant. We are providing financial support um, to free up people for this work. Um, uh, one, so it's it's kind of uh, compensating for staff time, but it's also compensating for cloud costs. So this is. For many of these organizations, it's the first foray into cloud computing uh, and using larger data sets and and maybe doing more complex um, uh, analytics, hardware, kind of whatever they need, software licenses. So the the grant compensates for for, uh, for those uh, aspects. Then I was talking about the data engineers and data scientists that I have on on my team, and there is dedicated time from these um, staff members for the different projects. So there are weekly meetings. So it's a much tighter relationship, a much closer relationship than what you find mostly when it comes to foundations and their grantees. It, it is truly a partnership because we are working alongside uh, with these organizations. We help them onboard on a, on a big data platform. Um, we, we help them fix problems. Um, but. The the main goal when it comes to that technical assistance, as we call it, is really to transfer skills. So it's not about us doing it for them. We might be showing them if they haven't done it before how it could be done or we suggest ways how it could be done. But ultimately, we really want to help them do it themselves so that they can continue to do that. Uh, as they move, uh, move forward. The grants really vary. I mean, I, I don't know if, if that was where your, your question was was going, but for the accelerator program, which is about a year long, the, the grants are around $100,000. If we have multi-year partnerships, um, it, it can go uh, significantly beyond that.
0: Right, all right. Fascinating. And so help me understand a little bit the sequencing of things. Um, so this all sounds very interesting. So let's say we have one of these grantees and you talked about transferring knowledge as well. Do they initially have someone in house who is already somewhat data savvy or is it simply a question of here's an organization they have a uh, an inquisitive nature to try to get, you know, leverage data better, uh, and then they come up to you and then you help them understand the knowledge and you transfer the knowledge to them who who are you transferring it to? Do they have a person in there who is able to capture that knowledge and then run with it in a sustainable way on their own? Um, I'm just curious how that works and, um, yeah,
1: That, that, that's a great question. Um, because that is one of the aspects that we pay a lot of attention to. So we have a fairly structured selection process, um. We start out, so last year when we selected this cohort of the accelerator, this is the second cohort, and I can talk a little bit more later, maybe what it means to, to be a cohort. But last year when we selected this cohort, we asked first for an expression of interest, two pages, something of that nature, five questions um, that we asked organization to, to respond to. And so we want to make sure that we are only asking as much as we need at a certain stage of the selection process to make a decision not to overwhelm these organizations. So we are are not asking for the 25 page application right out of the, right from the start, because we really feel that would mean that we would turn a lot of organizations down exactly for those reasons that you mentioned. We want to understand, do they have access to the data sets? Do they have, what kind of people do they already have on uh, on staff? Do they have a data analyst or a kind of a person who does data science um, and and could, uh, you know, kind of further uh, move into into that direction? Most importantly at that first step, although we, we, we want to understand what, is, what do they think is the problem and how can data make a contribution to it? Because we really want to make sure of a couple of things. We want to make sure that we are working on things where uh, data is really the, the kind of the hammer to the nail. Uh, and, and not just because it's kind of the, the thing of the moment uh, to do that right now. And then we want to understand who would be making decisions based on the data. Is it that organization or is it someone else? And how how credible is that narrative, uh, that, that impact pathway? And then we want to get a sense of the, of the team and their prior experience. The, we got about 100 um, expressions of interest last year. We then spoke with 30 organizations, um, invited them to a next conversation, and then we are kind of trying to get deeper on those three aspects. So what is the, the kind of the problem and the potential impact? Uh, what's the situation around the, the kind of the data sets and the skills of the uh, of the team and how would that, uh, you know, lead to decision making?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, geographically speaking, are they based anywhere on the planet or is it uh, foundations, uh, this cohort, are they based in a specific uh, geographic area?
1: So, uh, this one is uh, fairly widely distributed. Uh, We have um, an organization in in Mexico, we have an organization in in India, uh, in in Singapore, so uh, different places uh, around the globe, some in the the U.S., but we definitely have the ambition for coming cohorts to expand that, that reach even further. We have additionally established a booster program. So, as you were rightly asking, you know, do they already n- need to have a skill set in place, um, and that is a limiting factor because a lot of organizations don't have that. That is a tough skill. Uh, there's a lot of competition from the private sector to even hire those people into uh, these types of organizations, and so the the booster program starts with organizations who are one level earlier in their data journey, who might not have yet that skill set or might not have as clearly scoped out the data challenge that they want to work on. And we feel they are not yet ready to kind of jump on a platform, do cloud computing and and do some of these things. And and the booster program, we have, there are five organizations, for example, from Uganda, from Bangladesh. um, And some of these might then um, at later stages become members of the accelerator cohort or kind of other mechanisms that we offer
0: great so for the booster do they also get a little bit of a grant as well so sort of like a mini yeah. grant yeah they do great excellent and just like this a distribution a broad distribution uh of geographic uh, participation can the same be said regarding thematic interests so you touched on climate um are are they so wide area of interest, wide range of interest for um, for the themes that they're tackling.
1: So so this cohort is really focused on uh, data to drive climate change. Uh, last year's. Uh, cohort was focusing on data for equality. Um, So there we uh, had people uh, working on uh, financial inclusion um, and and health inclusion and and kind of a racial racial justice, so a a wide variety of uh, of fields pertaining to advancing uh, equality. Uh, This one is tackling biodiversity and uh, plastic waste and, uh, again, uh, things at the intersection of climate change and and health. Um, and next year's, you know, my, we'll focus on something different uh, yet again. But the foundation overall is, uh, as we call it, sector agnostic. So we are not focused on a specific thematic area. But we have an interest in climate change, um, in digital health, and in economic opportunity. Those are three areas. But there are focus areas and they are not exclusive uh um of uh, kind of other areas that we could look into uh, where data could be used mm-hmm.
0: so every year then you have a different cohort and you have a different thematic area of focus yes that's correct and now if, if you're engaging with these individuals for more than just that one year period then presumably you start having a sort of cumulative uh, Uh, range of different grantees or or cohorts that you're working with, right? Because you, you might be engaged at any given time with three different cohorts or four different cohorts across four different thematic areas.
1: Exactly, exactly. So there, there are two aspects here. One is the alumni aspect, um, and that is definitely something that we are that we are thinking about and, and starting to, uh, to build. So this is the, the second cohort. And, and as I said earlier, we are still a, a fairly young uh, organization, but that's certainly the idea of continuing to give grantees or former grantees access to what we are doing. Um, there might be something like clinic hours where they can still drop into a meeting with a member of, of the team of the technical team if they if they have a question. So those kinds of things. But there's also the and there's a second aspect of them learning from each other. So the, the cohort model there that's explicitly baked in and we have events um where either they are really the, the, the different cohort members are talking to each other, but also where we are bringing in experts uh, around data security or data governance or geospatial data, which is particularly relevant for this cohort. Um, so it, it depends again the kind of the experts that we invite uh, on the interests of the of the cohort. But there's also a third aspect that goes beyond um, our kind of portfolio or group of uh, grantee partners, which is that uh, we are also selecting uh, some of the projects because we believe they are solving a problem that other um, organizations have. so they are developing in, in terms of the data model that they are developing uh, or the you know, kind of the tooling that they are developing. We believe or we have an, a kind of a hunch that this might be something that potentially if it were developed a little bit further or repackaged in a certain way and made available through GitHub or as, as a code library, it could be relevant for other organizations Excellent. Uh, uh, as well
0: excellent i love it so you could have a a a nice vibrant alumni community and then not only are they learning from you but they're learning from each other And presumably these organizations didn't necessarily know each other from the outset did they i mean they came in not knowing each other and you 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 convened and 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 introduced um a question i have for you which i find personally very interesting is so you're 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 gathering this knowledge or this insight and these these different grantees, they're hopefully coming up with solutions and frameworks and abilities to, um, to leverage data that could be of interest to a broader uh, range of actors who are equally interested in tackling this thematic area. How do you ensure that, that, the, that the insights that are generated as a consequence of all of these grants and interventions, that all of that insight isn't just stored someplace safely but also becomes accessible Uh, to to a broad audience it people are made aware that that it exists because just because you've created it doesn't mean that people know of it how do you make sure that it's hopefully leveraged and used by as many people as possible and it doesn't just sit in your office but it it actually gets to where it needs to go and maybe even to policymakers and and practitioners in the front lines
1: yeah, that, that's a horrible prospect if it only stayed in my home office. Uh, so that's definitely not what we what we want. It starts with really having those conversations with the grantee partner. So it's something, again, part of the selection process when we have maybe the second or third conversation that we are really trying to understand what is the organization's interest in A, participating in these cohorts, how open are they to peer learning and contributing to that? Um, But also how open are they they, to sharing um, what they are doing, uh, what they are developing uh, with uh, with others? Is this something that's meant to be more proprietary and then it's probably of less interest um, to us? Uh, Or is this something that they see uh, being made uh, openly available? I mean, there are certainly a lot of questions that need to be asked around these aspects, you know, security, privacy aspects. I mean... But mostly, we are not talking about the data sets themselves, but we are talking about kind of the analytics that that run on, on data sets uh, and then similar data sets at, at other organizations. But all of these are questions that we are raising with grantee partners because we want them to be also the drivers. They are the, the organizations who know the context, who know the communities, who know the, the problems and and the you know kind of why the data use case is is important and we want to understand from them what what do they see as the constraints and and the opportunities of making this more openly available but when they are on on board um and, and that's part of the the selection process, we um, have started to document in a more detailed way what's what's happening, and we will increase that as we are building up the, the team at the at the foundation. One thing that I'm that I'm very excited about, and this is a you know a, a first um, uh, one of the first products that we will come out um, in uh, very very soon. Um, are white papers. So we asked, we have partnered with an organization with a technical writing agency, uh, and they have documented um, the the use cases from last year's cohort and some of our multi-year partners in uh, in white papers that are much more technical than what you would typically find when there is a report on a a grantee. Um, and, And these white papers are five, six pages long, and they really talk about from a technical perspective of uh, what was the the data question, uh, what are the the data kind of models and approaches that are being used, what are the data sets, what are also some of the challenges um, we ran into, how were they potentially solved, Uh, what are prospects for future work. So um, the reason why I'm excited about that is We have all seen, there are a ton of blog posts out there that say, oh, we solved how you can use uh, automatic Kind of recognition of certain pests on plants when you know kind of ML machine learning uh, or AI is looking at a photo of the plant, and and you kind of and all success and but most of the time it's just an experiment. It hasn't been put into production. It hasn't uh, uh, really um, turned into something. And when you try to find information, how was it really done? How can I replicate it in a different context? It's often very, very hard to find that information. And so that is something that we want to address. But the white papers are only a start. I think it's really about also bringing people together. We want to bring kind of uh, uh, data practitioners, data leaders, and also leaders of organizations together to make them aware that these resources exist and provide uh, also guidance around how can you now implement that in your organization? What are the next steps that you would need to take?
0: Excellent. Excellent. This has a strong, I would say, academic footing as well, right? I mean, the rigor that you're describing and the and the wish to to ensure that the data is um, accessible to everyone uh, who, who would care to use it.
1: I do think there is certainly rigor that's needed when you work with, with data Um, It starts with uh, what are potential biases, and it really starts with understanding the data uh, and then being careful about um, how are we analyzing the data and for what purpose. So there there are elements of maybe kind of scientific thinking. Uh, (laughs) It's called data science after all. Uh, But but I think for us, it's also really important to understand um, how will this affect communities, how are communities involved in uh, the collection of data, um, designing the analytics, the use of data. I think there's that that side to it too. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you, so if you have, I don't know if I can segment it in the following way, but I'll try. So if you have your, your team of data analysts and experts in that field, and you help out with these grantees, there are other... Two components as well, right? This the software that one could use however they want, and then you touched on the cloud and that that's that facility for. Do you work with other partners who provide the software, who provide the the cloud-based uh, storage uh, to make all of this come together, or do you just tell your grantees, look, we'll give you the data analysis and the expertise, we'll share that with you. What software or where you store it entirely up to you.
1: So it's, at the moment, it's more the latter than the first. So it's we try to understand what are they currently using, what are they interested in using, because we really want to make sure that this is a sustain, sustainable solution um, and that it's driven by... Well, talent and skills that they might have already in place, uh, and things that they are uh, that they are interested in. In future, we might partner with software providers and 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 others. Um, but again, we we want to make sure that we are not pushing a specific product, uh, but that that it's kind of appropriate for the organization and for the use case uh, and that it's ideally something that they can maintain uh, over the long run if if that's kind of what the the use case entails
0: i've heard the term used uh data maturity is that uh is that something familiar to you uh,
1: ab- ab- absolutely uh, although we are kind of at the moment debating whether we are moving away from uh from that um so Data maturity—a a term being used in the sector uh, to determine, you know, kind of how how far along, um, how experienced is an organization in, in terms of uh, developing data solutions, uh, uh, using them. How widespread are there they, uh, they um, in the uh, in the organization? Things like that, and um, and I think in 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 recent discussions as we are for ourselves trying to define some of these terms uh, uh, in in more detail because, well, it's still a very young field. um, And that's something also that's that's interesting to me because there's still a lot of of work to be done on the foundations of that field. Um, We have been thinking about, um, we obviously as an organization care a lot about equity, inclusion, Diversity, accessibility. So the idea framework um, is is one that we are uh, wholeheartedly have subscribed to internally, but clearly also how we want to work with with partners uh, externally. And data maturity seems to indicate something, you know, that it kind of it's a it's a kind of assessment um it's 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 kind of a judgment you know are you data mature are you not data mature and it's better if you are more data mature which is probably not true because not every organization needs to you know be extremely savvy in terms of how they are using data i think we want to have data institutions in sectors but for a grassroots organization that works on advocacy around racial justice, you know, it's it's for them to decide how kind of data fluent they want to be. So we are talking more about now the data journey and where organizations on their data journey um, and, and thinking with them in terms of how, uh, you know, how appropriate is that for uh, is kind of the stage that they are at for what they are trying to do and what they are trying to achieve.
0: I like it. That journey. Now you were you were at the at the Rockefeller Foundation for about a uh, ten years, if I if I remember correctly. You you were also the MD for Strategic Insights there, uh, and you just touched on the word institutions uh, a minute ago. And so I'm curious. Putting aside the grantees and perhaps the smaller outfits that you're working with, but what reflections can you give us about those larger institutions, those larger perhaps philanthropic outfits, and how? savvy or otherwise are they in terms of leveraging data and 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 using it to its full potential?
1: I think for foundations like for many others in the sector for, for, for most of philanthropic organizations it's still early days um so foundations are often collecting a lot of uh, of information through reports through different different mechanisms and a lot of my colleagues are now thinking about, Uh, How can we make uh, that information most useful to the broader sectors? How can we utilize it best uh, internally? I think they are wrestling with the same questions that a lot of the grantee partners wrestle with. And facing the same challenges in the sense of how do we need to set up ourselves? Do we need a data scientist? Do we need a data engineer? How are we setting ourselves up? What are really the data questions? Um, that we that we want to address but also what are the risks um, that are um, kind of entailed uh, in in these in these endeavors so uh, a, a lot of times they are they are in the in the same boat as their grantee partners and that is also one of the challenges and I think that's why we decided to have that technical team because nonprofit organizations are looking where can we get neutral advice that is not necessarily focused on a specific product, but who can we turn to We hear There's a lot of potential in working with data, uh, but where are the organizations where we can turn to um, that? Not only fund that, um, but that, that help us uh, along, along the way. I think the, the other aspect is for kind of how, how are foundations funding these types of, Projects and and even when we talk about projects that that might be um, the it, it, an approach that is too limited because um, everybody wants these days to fund an exciting data science project so that we have a lot in kind of that that's happening a lot but there's much less funding for building really sustainably the infrastructure that's needed so. Um, the, the kind of the back office of that that house, whether it's you know buying servers or kind of reliably have access to cloud computing or kind of building data repositories, building up th- those resources, and it's something that organisations will just need as a an organisational competency and not a one-off.
0: Hmm. So I'll ask you a broad question. Perhaps it's a little bit unfair uh, for me to ask it. Um, but do organizations need an in-house data scientists, or or are they or are they better off perhaps outsourcing that as and when the need arises?
1: Um, I think that I, I, there might be a third option uh, okay. here. Um, so I fully agree, and it's definitely a conversation that that we have uh, with potential grantee partners, other organizations in in the sector. Do you have enough? work and exciting work for for data scientists. And ideally, only having a data scientist is is not enough. It's a team sport. So you need to have an environment uh, for that uh, data work to to happen. And that is a significant organizational commitment. And how how important is data really for the impact and the mission that you are trying to achieve as a nonprofit organization, so that might not be the route uh, for especially smaller outfits uh, to to take. Um, but this hiring someone for a specific case, and then they go away, and the next time we you have a new project, you are hiring again someone, and someone else comes in. You. That really prevents the organization from building up any institutional knowledge around this and really to advance on that data journey in, in any meaningful way. So, I think a third option could be are there shared services? So, are there data institutions, nonprofit data institutions in a sector? Um, such as, you know, kind of focused on environmental issues or focused on, uh, you know, land property rights or kind of nutritional issues. I mean, regardless what the sector is, other data institutions um, that that curate data sets that maybe uh, prepackage analytics uh, products to make it easier uh, and to do some of um, what otherwise the organization would need to do in-house. Or can different organizations come together around, for example, use cases such as humanitarian emergencies and say, okay, we are creating a joint venture uh, amongst the the 10 of us uh, who are typically working on earthquakes um, and, and, you know, kind of flooding or something like that. And we we build an institution like that.
0: Yeah. That last point really resonates. You see so many... So many foundations and nonprofits coming together to collaborate with each other and, and creating collaboratives that are beginning to look very, uh, very sophisticated, you know, and they and they collaborate in very creative ways. So this this aspect that you're bringing into the conversation about sharing that that uh, data analysis function seems um, fruitful ground for exploration. I would say, tell me. What's the, uh, if there is one key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after, after they finish listening to today's show, what, uh, what might that be?
1: I think what, what I would like people to remember is that that data really is, uh, an important asset when it comes to kind of fighting diseases, hunger and climate change, if we, if we do it right, um, but I want to encourage everyone to educate yourself as a, as a citizen, uh, as a consumer, as a parent, uh, as a patient, because all of us, we need to shape how the, the future of that use of data and AI looks like um, so that it really realizes those that, that, that positive potential uh, and the reduces potential risk Uh, and how that that might be involved.
0: Fascinating, great stuff, really great stuff. Claudia, thank you really very much for for joining me and for joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, hosting you on the show and, and learning about your work, which sounds fascinating.
1: Thanks so much, Alberto. It was a great pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Perfect, and that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in as always. You've been listening to a great chat with Claudia Yuch of the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation. For information about this interview and more than 150 other interviews with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's l-i-d-j-i.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, as always, and I'll catch you next week.